welcome to Breakfast with Tiffany Show. My name is Tiffany Rosdell and I am a Tokyo-based transformational lifestyle coach. In each episode of this podcast, I want to explore the positive transitions other people have made to, how they freed themselves from their struggles, what pushed them to overcome their difficulties, and how and why they felt like they could overcome. Breakfast with Tiffany Show is really all about the transitions everyone who wants to succeed makes and what they did to get there. As such, while the focus is on LGBTQ plus journeys, I want to share the stories of all people who have found their way to success. My hope is to have this platform for all of us to be together while listening to successful stories, amazing life experiences, inspirational journeys, as well as having good laughs and lots of smiles. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce you to something quite extraordinary. It's the Breakfast with Tiffany Show podcast. And now, it is with great pleasure that I introduce you to your host, Tiffany Rossdale. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Breakfast with Tiffany Show. I am Tiffany Rossdale, your host. First and foremost, I want to say that I am grateful for you for tuning in to this podcast. Of all the podcasts available now out there, you chose to listen to my podcast. So I am really, really grateful for you. If you are one of my new listeners, I always ask my new listeners to please press on that follow or subscribe button wherever platform you are listening to right now. I think you can also listen to podcasts to any music apps. So please have a few seconds of your time to just press that subscribe or follow button. It depends on the platform that you are listening to. I also would like to ask if you have any questions or anything that resonated with you on the topics that we discuss here every week, please feel free to reach out to me. We have our email address available on the podcast show notes and also all the links to my social media and you can DM me directly. If you are really enjoying this podcast and if it's really benefiting you, have a few minutes of your time to go on to Apple Podcast or Podchaser to write a review and also to rate the podcast. This way, we can reach out more people, rate it and re- make a review because that's how it works in the podcast community. Th- that will really help us a lot. To those of you who are generous enough to make a contribution, we accept donations through PayPal and Buy Me a Tea. Most of the people that sent us donations is through Buy Me a Tea, and it's really, really um, helpful. And we're really grateful for that because it it will help us update all the things that we need to pay for for upgrading and uh, for making this podcast work every week. Check out our podcast show notes. All of those that I just mentioned, you, you can all check them out, all the links, all the information that I just shared through the podcast show notes.
And lastly, <laughs> sorry for bombarding you already with so much. We don't have any sponsorships, so please bear with me on this announcements that we do in the beginning. This is the last time I'm going to announce about uh, the, the the retreat that I'm hosting this weekend. It's going to be this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this week. This weekend, 28, 29th, 30th of January in Chiba. So if you are listening and if you are here in Japan, this is an opportunity for you to attend a wellness retreat. I don't think there's a lot of other wellness retreats going on here in Japan. And most of my friends that I know that who attend, who loves and joining the retreats, they would travel to go to like Thailand, Indonesia, Bali, and all other cities that they can have the retreat. Well, I, I finally now able to organize this wellness retreats here in Japan. So this is such an opportunity for you to join and to experience how it really will give you so much of an amazing transformation in your health and wellness. I do and host retreats because I believe this changed my life, my lifestyle for the way better. And I think I'm the healthiest ever in my 40, 44 years of my life here, here in this world. I've never been this healthier. So in this wellness retreats that I'm hosting, we will share all these tools that we learn. Not It's not just me. There's other certified coaches as well, besides me, that will really help you and guide you towards a very healthy lifestyle. We still have a few spots left. We don't want it to be big because we are still in an unprecedented situation that we can't really gather a lot of people. But we still have a few spots available. So feel free to reach out to me. Let me know. We will also link in the retreat information on the podcast show notes. Thank you. And that's all for our announcement today. And I would like to share this very special interview that Sarah Furuya, who I recently had on this show, she's also a life coach like me. And she interviewed me on her podcast. I think the last time I talked about all about myself was when the first time I released this podcast. And ever since I've been appearing in, in, in some other podcasts and also YouTube channels and Instagram interviews, I think it's also important for you to learn more about me. So I will be sharing with you today the appearance that I that I did on Sarah Faria's podcast called Legends Interview Podcast. I hope you will enjoy because this interview session that I that I had with Sarah, I think I've never shared it to I've never even probably shared it here on my podcast. So this is the first time I'm sharing the stories that I've shared on her podcast on my podcast, if that makes sense. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And I hope you like this interview. Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to this, the Legends podcast with me, Sarah Faruya from Sarah Faruya Coaching. Today, I have the most amazing guest with me who I've been wanting to interview for so, so long, and it is the terrific 
Tokyo hottie, Tiffany Rossdale. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm so looking forward to this interview. Me too. Can't wait. And I'm just uh, so, so, so excited to have yeah. you here. First and foremost, I would uh-huh. like to say, I would, I just would like to say that I'm so grateful to be on your show and I have been listening to your podcast episodes. Oh my God. And you have so many amazing influential guests on your show who has been sharing their wonderful stories and wisdoms. So thank you for using your platform to educate us and inspiring us all. So I'm really honored to be a part of your show. Oh, that's such a lovely thing to say, Tiffany. And the same for you as well. I love your podcast too. I've learned so much about so many things from listening to it. Such an important topic that you focus on there. Um, so um, I'm absolutely delighted. So I want to just give you a formal introduction before we get into the questions, which is where I really like to go. So Tiffany is, uh, she's your Tokyo-based transformational lifestyle coach now, and she was born and raised in Manila in the Philippines. She's been a resident of Tokyo for over 25 years now, um, having moved to Tokyo in the late 90s. Um, She discovered vibrant opportunities with Japan's VIP nightlife scenes and became one of Tokyo's mega socialites. Um, She had a brand called Tokyo Fashionista, She was curating her own events and has spent a decade hosting and designing some of the most luxurious parties uh, for five-star hotels, luxury brands, mega clubs, and Halloween events, New Year's parties, and served as a judge at the International Pole Dance Fitness Competition. (laughs) That (laughs) was way back. (laughs) Wowie! And worked with international artists and musicians uh, like Kat DeLuna, Peter Chambers, and Lavelle Smith Jr., who was the choreographer to American pop stars like Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Beyonce, and many more. Just over 10 years ago, she started uh, her career as a DJ, and I've been very lucky to have been at some of her parties and love dancing with her. Loads and loads of parties around the place. Um, Agehara is one of the mega clubs here in Tokyo that she's uh, featured at. And um, since the global pandemic struck, she's pivoted to hosting a podcast called The Breakfast with Tiffany Show, dedicated to LGBTQ plus well-being and community. Um, I highly recommend her uh, podcast. There's a lot to learn. She has some terrific guests on there, even some superstars as well. I know Tiffany um, Few Japan. I think you were DJing at the party there. And now you're on the board of directors of Few Japan as well, right? Which is yes. just amazing <laughs> for empowering women in Japan, which is a professional networking organization. And you recently hosted me on the 40th um, birthday party because I used to be the president of that fantastic organization as well. So, Tiffany, welcome. I hope you feel like a rock star because you are a total rock star. I <laughs> like thank you so much for that amazing introduction. Like I've never had that introduction before, so I'm really grateful. <laughs> yeah, I mean I could go on. There's so much, but I'm more interested in listening to you. The first question I have for all my guests is could you share a story from either fiction or from your own life mm-hmm. that has influenced you in some way? Yeah, thank you for that wonderful question. Um, Like what you said, I was born and raised in the Philippines and I am a transgender woman of experience. And um, I transitioned became when I moved here in Japan. So I want to tell this one story when I was growing up. I experienced many struggles 
when I was really young and my gender identity with my broken family, with my relationships with my relatives mm -hmm. and all the other childhood traumas that I've had. And I actually want to share this one childhood memories of mine, which I haven't um, shared with anyone. So I was about five, six years old and my parents are still together. There's this one guy who stayed with our family and I can barely remember all the details and I still didn't have these conversations with my parents when this happened um, ever since. So I am not sure if he was my parents' friend or some relatives, but my memory was he invited me to um, go to the bathroom. Every time he wants to go to the bathroom, he would invite me. I think he was about late 20s or probably in his 30s. What he did, based on my memories, um, he would let me touch his private part. Mm. And I don't remember if he did ejaculate it. All I remember was I get this strange feeling coming from all over my body. Mm. I was trying to figure out what was it. So that strange feeling was um, every time I touched him, like I feel like that strange feeling. So this happened quite several times. Mm. Every time like he would go to bed, he would call me and he wants me to join him. And I never told my parents because maybe he didn't want me to let them know. I think he kind of warned me. like, mm -hmm. And I don't really remember most of what happened that time. And that's all I can remember. It's because I'm an innocent child thinking when I became an adult that it could have been a child abuse, right? And I also think that let him, let him do whatever. I let him do whatever he wanted to do because he probably saw and knew that I was different. Right. And yeah, and I feel like he can see me while my parents and my other relatives knew the fact that I was different and acting not like a normal boy, but they wouldn't accept and tolerate my uniqueness. So there was a lot of, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. So I think that person, that man who in invites me in the bathroom uh, took that opportunity to show me that he can really see me. Yeah, that was one story that I can probably share. When I look back, you know, it was strange, it was weird, but it opened my eyes in so many different things. It's really interesting. Oh, thank you for sharing that story with us. And I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm sorry that happened to you, mm. but you also mentioned there that it kind of opened your eyes in many ways. What do you, what do you mean by that? I've worked on um, my healing mm. of all my past experiences in life and um, it took me many, many years to completely heal. And now I can finally tell all these stories because back then I just kept everything within me. And I thought like, no one should know about this. I wasn't really vulnerable about my stories, about what happened to me. I think that particular event happened to me because it taught me so many things in life that I, I am now facing to be strong and to be look after myself and to to really be vulnerable. I was lucky because he, he didn't came to the point that in a rape or killing, you know, because in the Philippines, it's normal to have that kind of incident too. So I was still lucky that I'm still here. I'm alive, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, you mentioned there that it's quite common in the Philippines. What, what, what is quite common in the Philippines? In the Philippines, it's common to have rape. It's common to have oh. child abuse. It's common to have all these things. That's why I love living here in Japan because I think Japan for me is a safe place. Mm. I've been safe here being my gender identity, being who I am and not really thinking about, about my safety. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because there are a lot of issues, aren't there, worldwide? Any any country for people who have uh, transgender identities, all kinds of different identities. There's there's a lot of risk, isn't there? Much extra risk all the time. We're thinking about uh, and seeing in the news um, that people have been murdered or beaten up and so on. And I think you just did a tribute podcast to one of your friends, didn't you? Would you like to mention them? Thank you for this um, opportunity. It was my recent podcast about the Transgender Day of Remembrance. This uh, particular event happens every November Mm -hmm. where we share about all these trans people who have lost their lives. Yeah, I have a few actually uh, friends who is trans also who lost their lives without really knowing what was the real cause of the death. Mm -hmm. It wasn't talked about in my community. The Filipino trans woman community in Japan is not really big. So everyone knows everyone. The fact that they passed away, no one really have the voice to talk about what really happened or question what really went through. And I was um, lucky to have met my friend's family, mm. the one who passed away in the Philippines. And I, I think it was the mom when I met. She was really of course, devastated, but she was also uh, trying to figure out what was the cause. And I couldn't say anything, even though I live in Japan, because it happened in Japan, right? Mm. And I don't know what to say, because I don't know what really happened. One of my trans friends who's really close to her told me that they just found her, that she was already dead, and you couldn't really recognize her anymore. Right. Uh, her body had started to decompose. It's, yeah, it's already decomposed. And I see. I think the police here, like they didn't have that you know, they didn't want to, I don't know what really happened, like how, how they did not like figure out like what's the real thing that happened. Um, I really, I really want to make that tribute on my podcast because she was one of a very good friend and she was one of my inspiration before I made my complete transition. Mm. And I idolized her. She was so beautiful and she was so intelligent and she was so out there. There wasn't a word for advocate back then. She was just like there, like showing up and being proud as a trans woman. And I saw that I was like, wow, like, you know, I want to be like her when, you know, someday. And then I became friends with her when I came to Japan and we hang out. It was really nice. She was really, she was really an amazing, um, kind person. And it was just like sudden, you know, like when she passed away, I was of course devastated and yeah. Beautiful. What's her name? Leia Moreno. That's her um, stage name, Leia Moreno. Leia Moreno. Well, we'll dedicate this this episode with your permission to the to Leia. Is that okay? Yes, of course. Thank you so much. Sarah. Thank you, and uh, so and God God rest her. So yeah, you just mentioned that I completely failed to mention that you're transgender. But as I said to you at the beginning, that's the least to me. That's not the most interesting part of thing about you. <laughs> and I want to hear all your stories anyway. So that's amazing. And please, and the other thing, Tiffany, is if I use any out-of-date terminology or say anything that's um, upsetting or incorrect, please do just um, correct me on the spot because I think it's really great for the people who are listening to understand um, terminology and stuff as well. Is that okay? Yes, of course. I really appreciate that, Sarah. And I I think it's really important to educate people about LGBTQ community. Yeah, to be sure. I mean, you're not here as an educator, you're here as my guest. So that I don't want to put that on you. That's something that people can pay you for, of course. I just want to be really clear if I if I make a mistake, please just call me out in the moment. I would love that if you don't mind. Yes, thank you. 
Thank you. Okay, so well, let's let's go back then. Let's go back in time to the Philippines now and change change gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, why don't you tell me about your childhood and your upbringing and uh, what's your uh, background and story? So as I have said um, earlier, my background when I was during my childhood was really rough. I oh. didn't have um, that happy moments when I was really young, starting from that five six years old because after that incident of what happened that story I just I just said earlier I also experienced my parents like separating mm-hmm. they weren't officially married but they separated when I was about seven years old and my mom leaving us to go here in Japan my dad couldn't really support us because his job of being a security guard couldn't really afford of me and my two other um, siblings, my my brother and my sister, so he couldn't he couldn't really support us. So my mom has to ask my relatives to take care of us while she was away. Me and my siblings had that freedom of being a child, like playing around, like going with other kids, because we were thought that we should always be cleaning the house, helping the house. And I remembered when I was still in elementary, like seven, eight, eight nine. Um, my mom, she has a lot of properties in the Philippines, but like she bought one land in near in Manila where she wants to build a really nice house. That house wasn't really completely built. So my uh, relatives who's taking care of us were the ones who try to build like everything from, for example, like the gates and all that, right? While yeah. my mom is actually sending money for constructions to do it. Mm-hmm. While they don't want to spend it, my relatives want to spend it because they wanted to spend it on. So they're using the money of my mom by not like using it like we're supposed to, were they supposed to use. So instead, like we're the ones like making it. We're building the house. We're cleaning the house. My mom's sending money to have maids. They didn't even want to have maid. Instead, like they, they, t- they told my mom like, oh, we can just take care of them and they don't even need maids. But then it ended up like we are the maids. We became the maids. Okay. Like we're the ones cleaning the house. We're the ones like doing all of it. Then I thought like, is this normal? Because my mom always put us in private schools. And I'm hearing all these stories from my other classmates that they're like living a good life, right? Mm-hmm. You're hearing them like they can play. They can do whatever they want. They can like, I remember like they, they love playing like those Game Boys. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ages, right? uh, yeah. So, yeah, Game Boys and all that. But like, while. We, we we want to have it, but we couldn't have it because my relatives, my aunts and my uncles, they didn't want to tolerate us to play. And like, they just wanted us to study and then like do some stuffs at the house, clean the house, like build something for the house. I've had that really rough childhood um, dealing with that at the same time dealing with my gender identity. Yeah. At the same time. So um, the only escape that I had is when my father would visit us and I would just tell him everything like because he would he would take take me out. Um, so hmm. what he he would do like ask permission to my aunts and uncles to take me out for a little bit for like you know to go like some park and then I would just like tear up and tell everything all the stories that we were experiencing, and he couldn't do anything because he can't get us because because he can't um, provide that for us. I also remembered like escaping so many times and trying to figure out where he lives and also where I can I can find him mm-hmm. at a very young age and strolling around Manila. You know, like how it's really dangerous to go around Whoa. Manila. Like, and then I figure out like I next time he would visit us, I need his address and phone number. And then I would just like figure it out myself. Once I get that 
feeling of I needed to escape, then I would just go and visit him like and escape the house uh, and I would just tell him like just get my my brother and my my brother and sister and we don't we don't want to be there anymore. Every time I try to escape or I don't want to go back anymore. My mom would come back from Japan. Mm. And she would always be like, what's wrong? Like, why would you like, you know, and we couldn't tell her because every time she wanted to talk to us, my aunts and uncles are all around and we couldn't tell her like the real what's happening. Yeah. We were just scared to tell everything at one point that she was like, okay, if you want to just live with your dad, like go ahead. I'm not going to support you anymore. And then I had the conversation with my dad about it doesn't matter where we can live. It doesn't matter if it's a poor area or if, it, if we can just like go to a public school, we don't mind as long as we can just like be with you. And he agreed to that terms and he took care of us. And we really live in a really poor area in, in Manila. I've experienced that too for five, five years because okay. I was in, I was in high school when I experienced it. But, but the feeling of living with him and the freedom, imagine I was already in high school. I'm still playing because I didn't have that right. at a very young age. I couldn't play. Yeah. So I was still playing some toys at home because I missed that time when I was supposed to be playing when I was really young. Mm. But my dad completely understand it. He never, he would never judge what happened to us because he knew having him around like was really comforting and very um, necessary for us. And I actually graduated from high school, finding my peers like. I'm still in the process of figuring out my real gender identity though, but I was lucky to be able to find my peers in school where I can hang out and be myself. That was my story when I was in the Philippines wow. before I moved to Japan. <laughs> wow. What a story. That's such an incredible story. And I just think like, it's, it's so interesting. You talking about your family there and the word that came up for me was like resourceful, how resourceful they were taking the money, but then building things themselves and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I was also thinking, and you spoke to this as well, that like you must have had to have grown up very quickly. And you actually just spoke to that then. So you're talking about even when you were a bit older, maybe in your teens, you were still playing with toys and stuff like that because you were expected to grow up so quickly when you were younger. You've had some therapy. Is that right? I did it on my own in the beginning. You did it on I, your own. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Cause like, you know, these are the kind of things that you, you kind of work out in therapy or now you're a coach as well. And coaching can sometimes, you know, help us to untangle these stories, but I'm not one to try and take a negative and turn it into a positive. I think that's really, it's not very useful sometimes. How has it made you who you are now? Or how do you think those things helped you now? And I don't like to think of like child abuse as being something that I don't want to make it positive, if that makes sense. But I'm just interested to know what you think it's given, what qualities it's given you, that upbringing. Thank you for this question. I think it's also important to let this um, out. Because for me, I think I believe that um, having that experience in my life at a very young age, I believe all that happened to me because if I didn't have that, I wouldn't probably be that strong when I became an adult, facing all the consequences of being a transgender, of finding who really I was, and all these um, relationships from my past. Also dealing with my families. I mean, I'm in good terms with my mom and my dad, but still I didn't have that conversation with them about why did you do that? Why you left us? There were so many questions, but for me, um, when I did the transition of healing myself, it was all about the forgiveness. 
I worked on forgiveness, and I think forgiveness is the ability to move beyond your the bad experiences that I've had, knowing that the memory of the experiences gives gives me the strength and clear passage towards for positive change. You know, I just find you one of the most positive and sweet people. And when I say sweet, you said you mentioned like you were like this innocent wee boy who was, you know, probably were you quite effeminate when you were little as well. And I just find this 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 sweetness about you. But you tell these stories without any shame, but also very authentically. But I just find you to be such a positive and glowing person. You have this gorgeous radiance about you and it's not fake and it's not forced. It's just who you are. I really appreciate that. And it's so interesting to hear these stories of your past as well, because we all hold stories and we all have past. I feel very honored and, and with your generosity um, of sharing these stories. And I also wanted to say, like, although you're, you're, you know, you mentioned your dad couldn't afford to to keep you at first after your mum came to Japan. He sounds like a good guy. Is he a good guy, your dad? I think the love that my mom, because my mom wasn't there, right? Yeah. That love, I think, was filled by my dad, even oh. though he couldn't support us in in financial way. Yeah. And the, and also the, the importance of family as well. Those networked families, how they stepped in and looked after you, maybe not in the best way. I'm really interested in finding out, like, what? Why did your mum come to Japan? But before that, I just wanted to mention. So you talked about forgiveness there, and I asked you before we came on the call if you didn't mind me mentioning about, like, I know you go to church because I bumped into you on the train once, and um, we were near the Catholic University here. Um, is it called Sophia University? That one yes. in, and I was like, oh hi, and you said I'm on my way to church, and I was like, oh right, okay, interesting. <laughs> so what do you take from church? Can you tell me a little bit about your faith, and does that help you? To forgive i'm interested yes it definitely did thank you for that question and yeah. you know that coincidentally happened that i bumped into you yeah on my way to go to church ever since i was a child in the philippines we're very um catholic yes and my mom's dad and my, my grandparents they were really um very religious yeah and um every time we did something wrong or we did something not good he would punish us, like especially my grandpa, because he's he was living during the World War, and oh, yeah. he has that you know very strict to us. I remembered um, when every time I I do something, just even like a little thing that I did wrong, like he would punish us, but it's like go on the in front of the altar and kneel down and stay there for an hour and, until you know and ask forgiveness. You have to be there, and we were thought that's how important being religious. Mm. When I went to school, I've been also part of a choir, which I love because every time I go to church, I, I feel like I am in a safe space. I feel like no one will judge me if I'm in the church. I would just be there and like sing happy songs, being positive. So I've had that ever like since I was a very young age and I still have that. And there's this one big church in the Philippines which is really famous. They say that when you go nine I don't know which day was it. If you go like nine Wednesday, for example, nine Wednesdays every week, and then on your last day, you'll make a wish, it will come true. Mm-hmm. And I did it. I did, I did went to that church for nine consecutive weeks. 
it put me into so much um, situations. Like for example, there was a typhoon hitting and I, I still went, you know, like all these situations that really tried me if I'm not going to be able to do it or not. And I dedicated to do it because I really want to come to Japan. And I thought putting that faith to God, putting me in the right place at the same time will help me. And after that last, the ninth week, yeah, when I made the wish, the following week, my mom called me and he, she told me that I got the visa. Uh-huh. And I was like, it's really true. And that also was taught by my, by my dad. My dad told me that you should be faithful with God. He was the one who told me about to go every one time every week that you should go and just like offer time to God and just pray. If you have a wish and it will be granted. And it happened. And I believe it. That's why I still have it, even though I'm here in Japan. And now also I pay respect to the Buddhism and Hinduism in Japan. Every time I see a shrine or a temple, I would visit and bow. I'm still trying to learn more things about Buddhism and Hinduism because I think it's really fascinating for me. Mm. Um, but paying a respect to a country where it welcomed me and having me live there for 25 years, I think it's really important to pay the respect to. Oh, it's so beautiful. And um, why did your mom come to Japan? You know what? I didn't ask her that question, but every time like she wants to say something about from the past, why we kind of like separated, she always blames my dad, everything, even okay. up until now, all in my dad. I believe she moved here because she wants to have that good life. She wants to provide that good life for, for me and my brothers and sisters, not just for us, but also for her family. Mm-hmm. I think she was the breadwinner of yes. the seven, I think six, seven siblings. Wow this big family and that's how she wanted to be here and earn that privilege of having that good life yeah what you get paid here is a lot more than what you would get paid in the philippines is that right because loads and loads and loads of amazing filipino women come to japan don't they and work here and send money home and support their families from here it's an interesting system that isn't it yes it is it is so true that's why there's so many filipinos come here to work and back in the days, I believe there's a lot of Filipino people come here for, as an entertainer. Either they're dancers or singers, being a hostess. They get that visa to come here and live for like six months or a year. And then when they get requested by the bars or the, by the clubs, they would come back again. I see. And um, when did you start um, realizing that you were a girl? Was it really early on? Really early, I, I think it was during when I was five, six years old, and that's the time when when I when I shared that story about that guy. I think he probably saw me like acting really different. Yeah, I've been moving like very feminine, but then my parents didn't wanted to tolerate me, so they always say like, "Don't act like that, don't do yeah. like that," you know. So, what's the next part of your story? So, there's you come to Japan. How old were you when you came to Japan in your teens? Yes, I came here when I was 18. Yeah. And that was during my second year college. Yeah. I was in I was in college in the Philippines and what were you mom, studying? I was studying business administration. Okay. My mom told me I should come here and visit and see if I would love to be in Japan. I didn't have interest back then. I don't know nothing about Japan. Only my mom is in Japan. That's the only thing that I have in my mind and I really wanted to go to America. My dream is to go to America. And yeah. Because everything we see on TV and cable are from America. <laughs> like to, to be in Hollywood, to see New York, to see LA. 
that was my dream to be in America. My tactic was to probably stay in Japan first and then go to America because it will be easier for me. Going from the Philippines to go to America, it wouldn't be that easy unless you have someone there that will support your visa. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I thought like living in Japan, because Japan is also a first world country, then it will give me an opportunity to go to America, which actually did. Yeah. Like I came here when I was 18 and I never went back. <laughs> 18. And when you came over here, were you still living as a, a boy at that time? I was, but I was different already. I, you would call it like a gay. My hair was a little bit longer than not short, short. Mm -hmm. And I'm not dressing as a male, male. I'm dressing more like a unisex kind of way. Yeah. yeah. I remember my mom was telling me, you are going to live with me and your stepdad. So don't act like what you're acting in the Philippines. So act like, you know, like a normal boy. Mm -hmm. And I did live with them for a year and I couldn't even stay long because I can't, I don't have that freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And you wanted to start to be yourself more. What age did you start to transition then? I was 19, 20. I already started taking hormone pills in the Philippines, mm -hmm. but the complete transition happened when I was here. Mm -hmm. And after being a part of the community where all the trans women works, um, a lot of them, they work as a hostess here, a dancer, singer. And I was influenced to do cosmetic surgeries and you should start thinking about your breast implants and save money. And I actually did save my money. Yeah. I didn't ask my parents to support me for that. Like I earned my own money to do my transition I, and I really worked hard for it. Yeah, for sure. You, you, you worked in a factory, didn't you? Um, at first? <laughs> yeah. In the beginning I did yeah. work in a factory because my mom told me all the Filipinos are working in a factory. So that's the job here. So you don't have any other option in an electronic shop and I was touching all these chips and I always get grounded from those chips and I didn't like that job. <laughs> I really want to see where those trans women work. I know that they're here, but I just don't know where they are. I don't know where to find them. But my mom is a part of the community of the Filipino community and she knows and she didn't want to tell me mm -hmm. because she didn't want it to she didn't want me to be a part of it because if I start to know all of it, eventually I'll change myself too, right? Yeah. She didn't want to, to make that happen. And then when I finally told her that I really want to do it and I really want to be in that community, just let me go, just let me do it. And she really thought about it and she just told me, okay, you just have to have your own separate place, an apartment, then you can, you can do whatever you want. How long did it take her to accept you as Tiffany? It took a while. <laughs> did it? Um, when I started doing my transition, I started by going to have my uh, breast implants. She was really against it. And I told her, like, I really want to because all the girls that I see, and that's how they get the tips, you know, like they earn a lot of tips by having like good boob jobs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she couldn't do anything. I was just like, I'm going to go. Did my other complete transition doing the SRS, the complete surgery in Thailand um, several years later. There's a couple of things I want to note here. The first is, and this comes up a lot in my interviews with people, is the importance of mentors and having people around you who give you access to the things that you need. I think that 
mentors um, are so important. You just mentioned then I wanted to be in the places where the other people like me were. And then they're giving you advice, like you need to start saving up so you can do your transition because it's going to be this much money and try doing it this way or go to this doctor or uh, these kinds of things. Uh, It's just so important having mentors around, don't you think? Oh, so important. And it's also back early 2000s is when it all happened. We still don't don't have Google. We still don't have all this information online. It's more of like word of mouth and people that you really trust. And they've had that experience to to go to this doctor. So you have to go or you heard from someone like, you shouldn't go to that doctor because someone died. And you hear all this. There was some confusion. Should I do it or not? At the end, I was really lucky to have good surgeons who have found and did my transition. And I didn't really regret what I did. I think I really want to become who I am today. But then realizing if this happened now, if this happened in this time now, I probably wouldn't do the complete transition because that was the most, one of the most difficult decisions I've had in my life. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine. And I was actually going to ask you that, like, how did it feel afterwards? Um, And I don't mean physically. You went into very great detail on another friend's podcast, Tokyo Talks, about that. So if anybody's really interested in hearing the detail of that, go over to Tokyo Talks. Nick Pettis has a great conversation with you about that. But in your heart and mind, Mm -hmm. how did it feel after you transitioned? Wow. Yeah. I I really felt the freedom. I really felt Mm -hmm. the safety. Mm. I really felt I can live the life that I want now. I don't have to be fearful about men, people that if they find out about my gender identity. Before the transition, I've already thought about I can live in a new life. I thought I can move to a different life that I would not look back. And those things that happened to me in the past will be coming back again. So I really thought it's going to be a new life. And I realized later on, uh, after building a different persona of me being Tiffany, not being authentic about myself also put me in so many consequences. Mm. Um, I've learned a lot through that process. The feeling of that moment when I had that complete transition was also amazing and life-changing for me. Amazing and life-changing. I am curious. So you said that you don't regret it, but you might think twice. Was that just because of the physical, the physical aspect of it and the healing or was what would make you think twice now? I think it's because of I couldn't go back there if in case something happened, because I've heard stories that it didn't work and then they have to suffer in this kind of condition. Mm. Um, Some people die because of that surgery. I don't want to lose my life because of surgery. I'm really lucky to have my sister with me in Thailand for a month. It really made me bond with her. I love my sister so much. She was there for me. I couldn't even think who who else will be there for me. Wow. There's such a strong theme of family running through this conversation, like a really strong theme of family here. I can't say good or bad. It's just there that's such a strong influence. Amazing. So now I'm interested. So you then became this kind of one of the grand dams of um, Tokyo nightlife. So what was it like doing that? I mean, I've heard some of the stories you've told. 
The Tokyo underground, any any big city has this mad underground like nightlife, but you were right in there with all of that, weren't you? Tell me a bit about that. Tell me some interesting stories from that time. I think the hostess community of trans women is very underground in Japan. It's not like really talk about. Only people that know the scene will know. So I've had that experience when I'm being as a showgirl in trans women community or clubs. And my other persona after my complete surgery, I thought being a complete woman without telling everyone about my real gender identity because I already did everything. Yeah. So I did that image of being Tiffany and being there, enjoying the nightlife of Tokyo, going to all the parties. Yeah. And that's how it all started for me to explore and being invited to so many VIP parties. And then I realized. Why not make my own? <laughs> and that's how the Tokyo Fashionista started. It's、um, an event that I founded ten years ago. It was about fashion. It was about entertainment, models, all these like beautiful people in Tokyo, foreigners. It's also half and half foreign community and also to the Japanese community, all combined in one event. You know, we just like have amazing, fun night out. And I also made it into team parties, like. Special occasions, for example, Halloween or countdown, New Year's countdown. I did the first foam parties in Japan, <laughs> in Tokyo. A lot of team parties, and it was really so much fun. At the same time, I didn't know that not being vulnerable about myself and hiding that part of me will put me in consequences. Like, for example, in my relationship, I wasn't lucky to find the right. Guy for me, even though I'm completely full on surgery, I thought like I'll be happy in relationship, but I wasn't. I think not being vulnerable about myself really led me to so many things. Also taught me a lot about life. I mean that goes for anybody, but I'm just starting to realize what you're saying is when you transitioned that you kind of wanted to live. You just were a woman.、Mm-hmm. Now you are very very open about being a transgender woman, right? Mm-hmm. But back then, you were just being a woman, and you mentioned the word authentic. So that inauthenticity got you into some trouble. So now, I mean, you are so honest now. Like, I mean, just so when you say vulnerable, you are so vulnerable now. You are so straightforward and direct now. And I know this is part. I think this is part of your healing journey. And you know, getting those secrets out where people can see them, then nobody's got anything on you. But also. It, I suppose it helps to align your heart and your mind and and everything about a person. Like for me, I'm really trying to take this in now and think, where's my version of this as well, and maybe the listener's version of that as well, where just a little bit more authenticity in one's life could lead to more, if you like, healing or more less trouble. <laughs> less trouble is a good good way to put it. Is that is that what you're saying, Tiffany? Yes, absolutely, and it's very easy to ignore this voice inside us that is often more、um, convenient to speak over it with justifications. Yes, it takes work to change, and it also takes courage. Yeah, but there's real bravery in honoring ourselves by changing the people, places, experiences that move us closer to the purest and. Most vibrant and most authentic versions of ourselves. Love it, love it, love it, love it. And they're really kind of old-fashioned kind of qualities as well, like 
work, courage, bravery, honor. These are really kind of really, really old school kind themes, aren't they? I love it. Love it. And that vibrancy and more of us can be seen. I, yeah. How beautiful. I'll be thinking about that. I really, really like that. I, I've just remembered actually, I've completely forgotten about this, but I used to have a client who worked at a club in Roppongi called, I think it was called Kagawa. Oh yes. Of course. I know that. Like one of the top dancers is a very good friend of mine. That's a club with all kinds of people from all, with all different kinds of gender identities. And some of the people there are like super, superstars, right? Yes, like yes. of the, of that world. She'd also done a full transition. Yeah, and she went into great detail telling me about her transition in Thailand as well, but mm. I didn't ask at all. She just started telling me. I was like, mm. oh, oh. <laughs> sounds really, really intense. It's, it's just really sad now, though, because a lot of those places are shutting down, especially oh, with no. COVID. A lot of them suffered during COVID because they couldn't really do yeah. nightlife, right? So I am still in touch with people who still works in nightlife and I'm hearing their stories that how they really wanted to try because that's the only way that they think they can they can survive right by working in those type of places while I think that they should definitely try many other things that they can do and I've been there myself and I thought that's the only way but I realized that if I do for a long period of time I don't think I'll be able to use my other skills that I have in me right Right. Well, that's really, really interesting. You should say that because I hadn't really thought about that, that oftentimes nightlife, jobs in nightlife. So whether it be hosting or waitering or busing or the person who takes the rubbish out or anything like that, it's often people on the margins who get those jobs. Yeah. So like people who are already marginalized, getting further marginalized because their jobs aren't there. But what you're saying is, and I think this is probably where your amazing coaching comes in as well, is to help people to understand that they're a whole person, not just that part of themselves. And I think you're a brilliant, brilliant example of that, of kind of, not that there's anything wrong with those jobs, because the other thing that makes me feel incredibly sad here, those clubs are closing down, but that's a whole piece of culture. That's a whole slice of any culture that could be dying with the death of those clubs. And I think that's a terrible, terrible shame, not just culture, but people's talents, people's mm. shows and the people who enjoy that kind of stuff as well. Cause all kinds of people go to those places. It's like mm. similar level to kind of geisha. I think that kind of the skill and the level of service, the enjoyment that business people get from going to those places and enjoying that full spectrum of the many ways to lead a life, right? Which and is also, yeah, exactly. And also connection, like being yes. in that, those places, you connect with like-minded people who's very yes. open-minded. Yeah. And also people who are different to you. So you oftentimes like CEOs and stuff like that would go to those kinds of clubs and entertain their their guests there and stuff like that. It, it seems a terrible shame to me that that might die with the death of the clubs, but it always finds a way to come back up, right? Because mm-hmm. creativity, talent, every different way to be a human being, they, they don't go away. It doesn't go away. It still, <laughs> it still exists and lives with, within us all. So 10 years ago, you were doing Tokyo Fashionista. I remember listening to you talking to Kike about hosting and how much you had to drink. Like he was telling me how much much you had to drink. And I think both of you don't drink now. Is that right? You don't drink anymore. How long ago did you stop drinking and what's been the impact of that? I would not say I'm completely sober. I would have a glass of red wine. Mm -hmm. That's it. I can can definitely say I'm done and I'm not going to drink more than that. And I started quitting alcohol um, 2017, 
2017. Yeah. Yeah. Around that time when I really thought about what if I stop drinking alcohol and see what's going to happen to me. Like imagine like you're battling with all these problems and then you, you can't run away anymore because that's the way I escaped through alcohol. It was very challenging. But at the same time, after I overcome being sober for, for I think a year, even a year, I think almost a year I did it. And I felt so much better. I felt so much lighter. I felt like I can face all the, all the challenges that will come to me, you know, without even thinking that it's, this is going to be hard, you know, that I think I'm, I'm already trained enough to be stronger. Wow. And was that the time when your kind of life started to transition into a new, into a new you and becoming what, who you are today as well? Yes. So tell me what you're doing today then, because I mean, it's so interesting, isn't it? So you went from the to Philippines, to the factory, to the nightlife, to the Tokyo fashionista. Then four or five years ago, you started to really change your life. And now your life is so different and interesting again, isn't it? So take us through this part of the journey. So after my fashionista before COVID, I, I was still working for a big place in Ginza called mm-hmm. Plus Tokyo. It was a really beautiful place because you have the restaurant, the bars, lounge, the rooftop, all at the same place. So I can bring my guests in a restaurant. I can bring my guests on the bar. I can bring my guests on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. I can do a fashion show. It was it was an amazing place. And I was working for them for a year. And when COVID hit last year, it was a big realization for me. Should I really continue doing what I'm, what I'm doing for 10 years? Is it my purpose to do events, to do this entertainment. I mean, I love entertaining people. I love doing all of it. I mean, like organizing parties and, you know, making people happy. Yeah. It's part of me. I love, I love doing it, but realizing I can't do it anymore. I didn't think that during COVID it made a negative impact on me. I thought that it really forced me to pivot to my real purpose, which made me realize that I need to advocate for my community. I need to start talking about my community, myself, to educate everyone about my community because I belong in that community. So that's how my podcast started last year by being so vulnerable. It took me weeks to finally touch the microphone because I've never been really vulnerable about myself and telling everyone in my social media and, and all of my friends about me. All they know is Tiffany and they didn't really know who, who's behind Tiffany, who's the real Tiffany. Yeah. And when I share that story, it was liberating. I felt so healed. And I get so many messages from people that I didn't, didn't even expect that they can resonate with my story. They're really proud for my vulnerability, being opening up and being honest I think a lot of people can't really be honest about themselves. So they really praise me after letting them know that I'm going to serve for my community and I'm going to do something for my community. I'm starting to advocate for my community is what really uh, made them support me. I had such an amazing connection with my community, which I never even thought about. Like I'll meet people, um, Danielle Franzese from The Mean Girls. All my friends were like, how did you get him? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. How did you get him? (laughs) (laughs) But it was all true people that I, because I really want to talk about a lot LGBTQ in my podcast, led me to all these amazing people. I was even like 
in awe like how I became connected with all of them. So to my realization, it was really leading me to a path of my purpose to give out and share my voice and share my stories and let people know about me because a lot of people still needs to hear what a transgender yeah. uh, voice is like because I don't think we have that enough voices. I mean, yeah. although now in America, there are many coming out stories and people who are who's really vulnerable about their stories. But in Japan, for example, there's not many representations. That's what it really made me realize that I need to be there so then I can encourage others to share their stories and be vulnerable. I mean, yeah, because I think I'm thinking about like in the UK and in the USA, like there's Peppermint who's in the USA who does a lot of lobbying and stuff like that. And she was on uh, RuPaul's Drag Race as well. So she's got really high profile. And then in the UK, there's a woman called Munro Bergdorf. Um, and she does a lot of work as well there. I think she advises the government too. She's just won an award, actually. And these are just people who are out in the public and doing things. I mean, I, I do understand it's still not easy, right? There's still a marginalized identity. But what's the situation here in Japan then, Tiffany? This may be a personal question and we can cut it out if you don't want to say it, but you, you have a Japanese passport now, right? Is that right? I still don't have a Japanese passport. Okay. I would love to have a Japanese passport yes. because in the Philippines, we can't change our gender. Yeah, we don't have can't that. change your gender marker. Yeah, right. we can. We don't have because I think also because of the, reli- uh, the religious gov- stuff. Yeah, religious stuff. The government is connected with the you know, being Catholic, and um, the only way that I can change my my gender ident my gender mark on my passport is if I became a Japanese citizen. I see. So I really I want see. to do that too. I want to do that not to get rid of my being being Filipino. Yes, I love my country, Philippines. I love being Filipino, but. If that's the only way to make myself more safe, because in other countries, for example, in Dubai, I've had the opportunity to go to Dubai. And I didn't know that we're not allowed to, in a D- Dubai if my, my gender mark is male. And my gender mark was male and I was there. And I realized that after when I came back to Japan and then they were telling me like, how can you go there? If your gender mark is male, they would have put you in jail. Wow. I'm so glad I asked that question because these are things I don't know, right? I didn't know that. Um, for some reason, I thought you had a Japanese passport, but I mean, it doesn't matter because we're both, you know, long-term residents here and this is our this is our home. So, you know, I can see you being this voice. So there's something interesting. So I've got a question here because in Japan, there are people who dress uh, in different gender identities all the time, right? So on TV, there's... Um, Matsuko-san. The comedian, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so there's, there's a lot of people who who gen- dress different gender to what well, you know what they were born. And of course, there's Takarazuka as well. So it's and uh, Kabuki, like all of this. It, it's all part embedded in the culture here. However, you don't really hear what you're talking about uh, the transgender voice of the people just in the street. It's like those are the ta- tarento. That's what happens in the acting community. But the voice that you're bringing to the table is a different voice. Is that right? Absolutely right. The okay. representation in Japan is still less. Like you would see a lot of, they call it talento. Yes. Yeah, there are variety. You would see Haruna Ai representing. She wouldn't be recognized as transgender. They would call her Okama or yeah. a gay, right? And they're all like comedians. I think now there's a few who is transgender doing modeling and all that, but not in acting. 
and that's the reason why I also did acting lessons uh, this past few years because I think a representation in the film industry is also important. We don't have that representation in Japan yet. We need a representation so then all this future LGBTQ can can see that, oh, there's someone in the film industry. I can be like them. Mm-hmm. You know, if we don't have that representation, I don't think they'll they'll be able to see their that they have the future to be open, to be vulnerable, yeah. to share their stories, to be there and be like, I am here. I'm a transgender. I'm here. I'm I'm queer. Now still in Japan, they prioritize their careers. They prioritize their relationship with their families and friends. I understand it, but they don't have that freedom of being themselves. Yeah. And I think that's that's a big thing that once you once you release that, you'll be able to discover more about yourself. Mm. Freedom. Freedom to be ourselves. Gorgeous, mm. gorgeous, gorgeous. And again, again, you're talking about this representation and about kind of having mentors because mentors aren't only person to person. They're also everywhere. Like It's a book. It's a person in the media. It's a magazine article you read. So it's it's so important to have access to this. What would be your highest hope then as this kind of leader and this advocate and this voice and this activist? What would be your highest hope for the people in your community? My highest hope for my community is that one day we will not even talk about transgender. We yeah. will not talk about queer. We will not talk about yeah. the different umbrellas of LGBTQ. I want to experience this in my life. We are just a part of the community, a part of the world that is just a normal human being. Yeah, We exist too. We we're here. We're a part of it. You and I are the same. You yep. know, we're not different. So that's my hope that one day it will be just like a normal thing that we exist. I love that. Love that so much. And um, that's that's the the basic theme of my whole business is there are many ways to lead a life. And that's it. It's just like that would be my hope as well. So speaking of which, then tell us what you're doing now, then what do you do now? So you tell us about your board of directors and what else you're doing and your coaching and your retreats and all these kinds of things. So tell us what you're doing now. Oh, thank you so much for asking that, Sarah. So after I released my podcast last year, which turned one year already, I started doing my coaching uh, for the LGBT, not just for the LGBTQ, but also for for people that really needs the guideline or needs motivation in their lives. And I also started hosting retreats, which is so much fun. Like because I am really good at like organizing. <laughs> that's, not, that's what I've been doing, doing events for Tokyo Fashionista. For me, it was easy to organize this retreats because I already had that background. I just have to gather all these like um, healers and coaches, programs. The only thing was challenging was the COVID because it's not easy to gather people in one place. That was the only part that was challenging. But organizing the wellness retreats was really fun. And I think it was really amazing. I love hosting wellness retreats. And then I was lucky to be invited to be one of the board of directors for Few Japan, which you were also my senpai, uh, being a part of the community before. And being a transgender and being invited to a women community, I feel so honored. It was an amazing feeling that to be a part of it and be a represent for my community. And to have that space and be welcomed by powerful women, I am just grateful. And I really looking forward to connecting with all this um, amazing women in the community. So that's another thing that I've, I've been doing. And also 
started my YouTube channel, I wanted to make it more connected to my podcast. I wanted to make a visual content on YouTube focusing about Japan, the culture about Japan, because how I how I love this country and also stories from people who lives here and educating people about LGBTQ community, do films or um, with my acting and also having speaking speaking gigs. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're, you're friends with Chuck, aren't you? Chuck Johnson. Yes. So I, I, I hope to see him in one of his films, uh, one of his Quiet Flame productions, because he's uh, he's a mate of mine as well. And he was on this podcast. It was really fantastic conversation. So interesting. Uh, he's so interesting. He's an uh, amazing person. He's and, an amazing person. And he was the one who convinced me to do acting skills. Did he? Mm-hmm. Did he? Yeah, yeah. So that that I would love to see you in one of his like action movies as well. That would be amazing. And I want to say this as well, Tiffany. You said it was an honor to be invited into um, the women's group. The honor is all ours. It's our honor to have you in our group. Not least because you're one of the greatest um, organizers of events, and so that's just simply your talent and your your skill that you're bringing to the table. But seriously, the honor is all ours. It's all ours. I feel very honored to be in the time and a place where you are part of the community and you're representing for us I really appreciate that so thank you thank you no I love I love you Japan and I remember the first time I DJed for, yes! <laughs> for the <future laughs> and you were there too yeah. it was you know the energy from that community it was mind-blowing I was just like what is this community why I didn't find out about this community yeah and then when Jackie started talking to me about the Jackie is the current president of you Japan and when she was starting to me about this community and she was like you should be a part of this community and and you know like we're actually looking for you know co-directors to be in the on board and maybe we can have you and I couldn't say no of course I would say yeah. yes and the energy that night when I DJed I will never forget it when we do um, meetings again in person or events in person you know I would play I would blast off like 80s music and we can yeah. all have fun <laughs> <laughs> Well, this seems like a great time to start to close out. So um, where can people find you? We'll link to all this below, but where's the best place for people to find you, Tiffany? Thank you so much for asking that. They can find me, Tiffany Rosdale. I have my LinkedIn, all my social media like accounts like Facebook, Instagram. I also have my official website, TiffanyRosdale.com, mm-hmm. where they can learn about my coaching and programs and also my retreats. And then my podcast, Breakfast with Tiffany Show. It's available on any podcast platforms and also my Breakfast with Tiffany show on YouTube, also available. And yeah, I think that's all. <laughs> Gorgeous. Yeah, go and listen to a podcast. It's really fascinating. Um, great. So I'm going to f- ask my final question now. There are many ways to lead a life. Tiffany, what does that mean to you? Ooh, what a beautiful question. Uh, life for me is, has been interesting. It really taught me so much. And I think all the things that happened in my past, I would never regret it. I would never say that I regret or I didn't like or I hated it. I think all what happened in my past led me to who I am today and who who I am becoming because we don't know how long life will be. Life can be in 200 years or 300 years in our age and that's possible and i would say that just enjoy every moment of it and be in present moment and not think about the future yeah is one of the important things i've learned yeah 
throughout my journey. Amazing. Tiffany, thank you. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you today and hear about this way to lead a life. It's been really, really interesting listening to you. And, you know, as I said, like being so frank about being transgender, but for me, that's not the most interesting thing about you. It's just that you're such an incredible person and such a professional, always positive, always optimistic, but also just very, very honest and not trying to sugarcoat things or be fake positive or toxic positivity or anything like that. And just watching you kind of over the last few years, moving into this new space where you're taking this amazing leadership role in, you say your community, um, but not only the LGBTQ plus community, but also the community that I'm part of as well, which is um, the community of Japan and the community of just being people in the world and finding your place like that. And you are such a radiant, radiant example for anybody who comes your way of how to overcome diversity and how to tell adversity, (laughs) how to overcome adversity and how to flourish and bloom and how to just lead a life and take everything that's happened and and give it back, but also make it be part of you and just enjoy yourself. I mean, we just enjoy our lives, don't we? So very much. It's so rich and lovely. So I'm I'm so happy. And I hope that the listeners have something to take away. Please do comment or go and give Tiffany a follow in any of her places, especially a podcast and a YouTube channel. Let's give that a bit of love. Tiffany, thank you so much. Sarah, I just would like to say Thank you for using your platform to making all this. And I'm really grateful that um, you invited me over. And I love being here. Every time I watch your your podcast, you really know how to make people really feel comfortable and, and you know, make it a safe space. So whenever you need me or a guest again, like I'm, I'm here, like, let me know. I <laughs> love that. Let's do a follow-up. <laughs> Let's do a follow-up sometime because I, ha- I do have a follow-up series. So maybe in, in a year's time. Thank you so much for tuning in if you reach up until this last minute of the show i am extremely grateful for you for tuning in the whole entire episode if you enjoyed our episode today please share it to your friends you can copy and paste the link wherever you are listening to right now text your friends share on your instagram stories or your facebook page tag me on your social media when you post it I'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts on the interview that I had today. And if it's your first time here once again, please do me a favor to subscribe on the podcast. Leave us a review. In every review, it makes me so happy. So I'm looking forward to your ratings and review on Apple Podcasts. You can impact someone's life right now by just sharing our episode today. I hope you enjoyed this episode today as much as I do. And I hope you know how much you matter how much I appreciate your time for listening, how much I love you and appreciate you. I am truly grateful for your kindness and your support. And as I always say, sprinkle kindness wherever you go. I love you and stay safe and healthy. Join us again next Tuesday for the Breakfast with Tiffany show with Tiffany Rossdale.